Hey, everybody. Happy Sabbath. It's Sunday School Bonanza, a This Week in Mormons production, bringing you a quickish gospel doctrine primer, primer. What's the official way to say that, Jared? I actually think it's primer. I always thought it was primer, but now I hear people say primer. So I, I think the dictionary would would guide you towards primer, uh, but I like the sound of primer better. I like it too. I feel like I'm being primed for something. It makes exactly. sense. Exactly. Yeah. Well, anyway, so yeah, our, my, my guest host today, Jared Gillins, is back with us, in case you weren't aware. Nice to see you, Jared. Thank you. It's nice to see you too. The pride of Washington State, everybody. The pride one day I I'm trying to think of a famous person from Washington and I can't name any Bill Gates Paul no, Allen then they don't count Ken Griffey Jr. he's not from there <laughs> that's true <sighs> Jared so much to learn but Bill Gates was well uh, Bill, is he actually from Washington though is he from Washington was he born in what this is the important stuff forget Sunday School Bonanza everyone let's find out where let's Bill Google Gates was Bill born Gates, real quick yes. before we get into this week's lesson I just want to learn Come on, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Bill Gates, where were you born? He was born in Seattle. Dang it. All yes. right, fine, you get Bill Gates. So There you go. Fair enough. Now, a very generous man, I might add. Yeah. He's like a, like his operating system or not, he's done great things with his wealth. And a lot of that you can actually attribute to Melinda. Melinda softened him quite a bit. That's true. Anyway, um, this week's lesson is 13. This generation shall have my word through you. And we're basically going to... Um, Talk about Joseph Smith and all the stuff we got through him. It's kind of a hagiographical lesson in a sense in that way. But uh, That's a $10 word right there. Thank you. Look it up, everybody. Uh, a lot of cool stuff here, though. We'll talk about basically great things that were restored and things that we understand, especially in the sense of, of scripture that we've been given through Joseph Smith. Now, there is an attention activity, and you folks, longtime listeners know I like to tease about these. This one could go either way. It could be worthwhile, or it could also take four hours to actually get done. So... They, uh, the, the teacher is supposed to write a bunch of things on the board, including that our creation in God's image, the physical nature of the Godhead, apostles and prophets, priesthood, mode of baptism, the gift of the Holy Ghost, premortal existence, baptism for the dead, resurrection, kingdoms of glory, eternal marriage, all this stuff. You're supposed to write all that on the board and then invite a class member, nay, challenge a class member to erase from the chalkboard anything that has not been revealed through Joseph Smith. And they will be able to erase nothing. And you will stand supreme as the teacher. And they will know their role as students. And then you will carry on. It's not the worst one. Like, it's fine. You no, could, it just doesn't seem like something that's worth taking a lot of time out of class for. Or, you know, if you're spending, like, the first 15 minutes of your class, like, prepping your board. <laughs> is, that a, is that a wise Well, I mean, you could be the monster who leaves promptly before the five after to go, pr you know, get ready, like, primary teachers or whatever. But uh, do what you want. So, as we know from Doctrine and Covenants, Section 5, verse 10, we know that this generation, which means dispensation, will receive the word of God through Joseph Smith. Um, I, the, the lesson actually wants us to ask, how is that statement true for you? How is it true for Latter-day Saints? I'm actually, I'm curious if you have any comments on that, Jared. I'm kind of just on, there's a boilerplate stuff in my head right now with that, with that, so. Well, sure. I mean, I... It's hard to like not come up with some really generic sounding answers because, yeah. well, he's the prophet of the restoration and he restored uh, ancient scripture via translation and revelation. He restored the priesthood power and the gift of, in many ways, revelation through gift of the Holy Ghost, etc. Like we received word, the word of the Lord through Joseph Smith in that he restored the means by which we received the word of the Lord in the latter days. There we go. So any other word of the Lord we receive... 
We as, still, we as a result, he basically gets credit. He gets the finder's fee, right, for all that stuff. <laughs> Section one thirty eight. Not it's not really yours, Joseph F. Smith. Yeah, Thomas S. Monson says something uh, profound and important in general conference. It's because of Joseph Smith. That is true, though. I mean, that's a really good perspective to have. Uh, it's we're very fortunate to have open canon and to believe in modern revelation. It's it's something that's always baffled me. Uh, not to denigrate any of my other friends from different faiths, but how we could believe that you know the Bible is the closed word of God and God intended just to give us that interesting stretch of time of knowledge and just say, that's it. You got everything you need. You're done. That's all you need. Um, interestingly, though, even on top of that, if you read biographies of Joseph Smith, there became points in church organization, though, when Joseph Smith felt that he was like done. Like he said, okay, I've done everything like I need to get done. And I'm, that's it. Anyway, you'll learn, especially if, if you read... Uh, Biographies like after the Kirtland Temple was dedicated and got going, Joseph Smith very much felt like he had achieved his life's work, and that was sort of well, that was it. But yeah. he still had more to do that he wasn't aware. But of. he's not, uh, yeah. you know, alone in that kind of a thought yeah. process. Where we know, like Moroni, he thought, "Well, I'm done. It's all compiled, <laughs> and my dad did all the work, and oh gosh, I'm still alive. I guess I, I love need that. to put a few like, more things in. Well, I got a little bit more time." I guess I'll uh, compile this Jaredite record. Which makes me wonder how much more time he still might have had after chapter 10. Sure. And, oh, I guess I'll uh, put in some letters for my dad. And there's, like, some of the best stuff, in my opinion, some of the best stuff in the Book of Mormon, doctrinally speaking, comes from the time after which Moroni thought I would be dead Exactly. Right Where would we be without Moroni 7, for example? Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful stuff. Yeah. Anyways, we don't want to digress, but where would we be without any of this stuff? We wouldn't have Moroni 7 were it not through Joseph Smith. So it was a real quick list of, uh, I mean, let's think about all the, all the different scriptures in particular that we've received uh, through Joseph Smith. So, of course, uh, the Book of Mormon is the obvious one. Right. Uh, the Doctrine and Covenants and the various iterations that took it to be the Doctrine and Covenants, originally the Book of Commandments, and then... Well, and Doctrine especially and so because, yeah. I mean, we do, I mean, the, we believe that the Doctrine and Covenants is a book of modern scripture and that, you know, any modern prophet could add to it. But really, the majority of what we have in there is direct revelation to Joseph Smith or writings from him. Yeah. We only have like... One section, I think, from Brigham Young, one from John Taylor, I believe, mm-hmm. and then one from Joseph F. F. Smith. Yeah. Uh, the rest of it came to us through the word of the Lord, through Joseph Smith. Yeah, so it's crucial. And then, of course, uh, Pearl of Great Price. Pearl of Great Price has always been a fascinating little book to me. Well, it's kind of like a, they put together a whole bunch of different things that didn't really fit It's a disparate stuff, and yeah. they just said, okay. Because I look at the Pearl of Great Price, and I say, okay, we got Joseph Smith history, which I guess works, and then you've got Abraham and Moses, which are standalone, so they put them there. Because in theory, you could have argued, and I have to wonder if Joseph Smith had really, uh, we'll talk about, of course, also the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible. If that had been like a fully, like completed, publishable Bible, because we were kind of discussing whether it was like ever done. It makes me wonder if there would have been value in saying, you know what we're going to do is we're going to interject the book of Moses where it belongs. And we're going to interject the book of Abraham. And, you know, I don't know. But as it is, we just have them as their own little books. You know, a question I have about the Pearl of Great Price, because like, like I said, I kind of do review it as sort of a repository for several things that didn't really fit anywhere else. A few weeks ago when you had Bill Doolittle on the show, he mentioned uh, that the original Doctrine and Covenants included the lectures on faith. It did, until like the 1920s right, or something Right, and that was like the, that. Yeah. considered the doctrine part of the Doctrine and Covenants. Yeah. And then they removed it because they're like, well, this isn't actually technically a revelation for the Lord. It doesn't belong here. So I've my question is, and, and this is for you all to ponder at home. Uh, why not stick it into Pearl of Great Price? That's the repository for things that don't really fit. In Should the we start a movement? I, I don't know. Cause like I, a march it, on Temple Square kind of thing? If any of you haven't read the Lectures on Faith, I highly recommend it. I've read it a few times now, and I always learn more every time, and I, I don't see why it shouldn't be 
part of the canon. It used to be. It's interesting. Recanonize it and put okay. it in the Pearl of Great Price. So this is the lobby. We get that in the Pearl of Great Price, and when Come Thou Found of Every Blessing becomes a hymn again. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that's, our, that's my new I'm, cause. I'm for it. I was wondering what my next move would be, Jared. <laughs> now I know. Um, so the, I think a lot of these we could talk about, and we talked about Pearl of Great Price. Book of Mormon, of course, is fascinating. And uh, we've had whole lessons on that. But the Book of Mormon is amazing because for me, it gives me such a clearer picture than just the Bible. And that's almost pablum to say, but at the same time, it's really true. I love reading the Book of Mormon and I feel so enlightened when I read it, especially because it's not just that it's written for our day, but we know that the inspiration to translate it was received through Joseph Smith and he wrote it for our day in that very literal sense and that it's language that applies to us, that it's it's not strictly written in just strict King James Version stuff. It's a little more, you know, most people talk about how it's more accessible in its writing style and that's because it came through a human in the 1820s. Translating. Yeah. Tra- like literally translating yeah. for an audi- a contemporary audience. And that's the interesting thing, translating. And we find that Joseph Smith becomes more comfortable. We talked about this last time you were here, that you see that his process even of translating or receiving inspiration really is what it evolved into, really grows as he becomes more confident in himself, I would say, as a prophet. You see the Urim and the Thummim, then you see the Seer Stone. And then you see as we evolve into... Abraham and Moses. It's really just pure inspiration. And I mean, you were talking about that a little bit, Jared, how it's funny that we call the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible a translation. Right. We, 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 I feel like in the Latter-day Church, we use the word translation fairly loosely, and maybe that's uh, a legacy of Joseph Smith, because yeah, honestly, like while, the, but while at least with the Book of Mormon, we have like gold plates where we see this is a written record, here's the English version of that written record. Uh, yeah, with the Old Testament, uh, the, with the Joseph Smith translation, and if you go and look at some of the supplemental material, they explain a lot of this in detail. But basically, Joseph Smith didn't pull up any, try to find any old manuscripts, nothing from the Latin Vulgate version, nothing from the Septuagint, nothing from, you know, any... Like, oh, yeah, those things. We all know what those are. Right, right. Yeah. yeah Wikipedia is your friend. <laughs> um, uh, no, nothing from Hebrew, Greek... Uh, anything like that. He is... He didn't do what you would do if it's an actual translation. Right. Yeah. yeah, and to yeah. clarify, and to give it, I, I gave him some bona fides uh, in the last time I was on the show, but I, I actually work as a translator. Uh, majority of my time I spend at work is translating Spanish into English. Um, and, but so if somebody gave me a Spanish translation in English and said, please correct this and improve it, I would say, please show me the original that this came from. I right. can't improve upon it or correct it or do anything with it if I don't see where this came from. And yet that's exactly what Joseph Smith did with the Bible. Instead of going to an original or other other language manuscript, he pulled out a King James version of the Bible. Actually, that... Um, they bought from Grandin. They bought from Grandin. Yeah, during who, the... Who, who printed the Book of Mormon. Yeah. Um, and so he just goes through the text of a translated King James version of the Bible and quote unquote translates it and improves upon it. One thing that was really interesting, uh, a quote from the, uh, one of the essays that we get linked to is, uh, oh, where'd that go? Okay. It says historian Mark Lyman Staker characterized the translation as one of quote ideas rather than language. So that might help hmm. us kind of understand what the translation is. Like we're not necessarily supposed to understand it as what I would consider a translation in the professional sense that I do it, that it's more of a, let's clarify ideas, let's restore doctrines that were lost. Well, it's almost like it's that fine line of the idea between interpretation and translation. Because of course you'd argue if, like a translator is interpreting. That's true. But at the same time, the duty of a translator doing that kind of interpreting is to take what someone else is saying and and 
convert that into a different language that still conveys the exact same thought. Right. Whereas Joseph Smith wasn't, it was actually adding, the interpreting was more like, I'm reading this and saying, okay, well, this is wrong. <laughs> or or, or you this know, is unclear and we can clarify it this. It shouldn't be 12 angels, it should be, tw- or it shouldn't be seven angels, it should be 12, like this and that. We need to clarify. And it's that kind of interpretation where instead he's clarifying uh, throughout the Bible and it's a very interesting process. And this really became a passion of his because uh, this happened in the years after the church was organized or the Book of Mormon was done. Uh, and he, when he received the commandment to go and translate or interpret the Bible and add to it, I, he really went all in on that, and he enjoyed doing it a lot. And the different people served as scribes. Once again, Sidney Rigdon was very involved. Emma even was a scribe at a time when he did this. Uh, and it's a fascinating number of years that he spent working on this. And I think he viewed that as his next great uh, great project, as far as Scripture goes, to, to, to fix the Bible. Like we have the eighth article of faith. It's very funny, that qualifier. We believe the Bible to be the word of God as far as it is translated correctly. Very clear about that. If it is not translated correctly, we're like, well, fake news. And again, like oh. it's interesting, Like you wonder what he means by that. Since we kind of established that like the word translation is being used a little loosely, does he also mean transcribed correctly, transmitted right. orally correctly? Because you know a lot of these old manuscripts probably were passed on orally before they were actually written down. I- and so, I mean, so what, yeah, does translated mean translated, or we believe the Bible will be the word of God as far as it was somehow communicated from one person to another correctly? Well, I think it varies. I mean, the Bible's one thing, but then let's, let's think uh, Bible-related. I'm thinking about Moses and Abraham right now, because they came in very different ways. Yes. Moses came because Joseph Smith was studying the Old Testament, and boom, revelation came to him, essentially, and he dictated the book of Moses. Right. right. And there's no, there's no physical... Well, starting in chapter two... Yeah. It, it, it very closely follows the you know the account in Genesis, but chapter one is whole cloth. It, it's it's new stuff yeah. that isn't found anywhere in recorded uh, you know manuscripts of the Bible that we have. And it's cool too. I love the way it just drops in. It's not uh, like the uh, same thing with Abraham. It doesn't start off where it's just like you know, hey, I'm Joseph Smith translating. It's not like there's a Mormon narrative compiling, right? It's just right. Moses. I'm doing this. Boom, jumps in just like Nephi. I Nephi being born of goodly parents. Um. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. And then Abraham, Abraham, the book of Abraham merits an entire podcast on its own, many podcasts on its own, because I know a lot of people who have even left the church because of the book of Abraham. It's, it's, it's sad. It's that it's an enigma. The it, there's a lot of stuff, and even in the, the, the church has published a really helpful essay about the mm-hmm. provenance of the book of Abraham and, sure. and its historicity. Uh, I would highly recommend reading that. It's, it's um, linked to in the lesson materials online. Mm-hmm. But even the church person historians who are writing this essay acknowledge that there's some stuff that's just like not quite clear about its provenance and where exactly it came from and there's a little bit of some speculation and some suggestions of uh where this uh material would have come from if not directly from the papyrus um and but they kind of leave something saying you know it's a matter of faith and it's sort of like it's it's just like establishing the truthfulness of the book of mormon where the only way you can really do that is by praying and receiving revelation same applies to the Book of Abraham. It does. I mean, like I, I've gotten to a point. Like I don't have any issue if, because for those who don't know the history of the Book of Abraham, for some reason, a guy was basically passing through Kirtland, had some mummies and some papyri and stuff, and saints said, "Oh yeah, we're buying this." And it was like three grand, which money that could have gone to the Kirtland Temple at the time, which was already or paying off any of the church's many debts. Many debts, yeah. And the church was going crazy on uh, credit at that time. It was yes. Um, Anyway, they had this. It was this cool, inspiring thing. The Book of Abraham came from it. And it wasn't until many, many, many years later, I think, uh, 
And there's always been allegations. I think where they they show up in like the Met or something like that. Anyway, I don't remember where it was. Anyway, they found some papyri that they said were just like basically Dead Sea funeral. Funeral. Say that word for me. Funereal. Funereal. I was going to say funereal. Uh, like funereal scripts that had nothing to do with it. That were regularly buried with mummified people. Yes. Now there's a couple things to bear in mind. One, um, we don't know how all-inclusive that is. I think there's a lot of stuff that doesn't corroborate that completely like it's the entirety of the papyri, for one. But on top of that, sometimes these things can just come through inspiration. We find so often in the restoration process that instead it's just finding a vehicle through which faith can be manifested and revelation received. And I have no problem with that. If this was just some weird thing that 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 set a spark off in Joseph Smith to inquire about some of the extra stuff about Abraham that maybe he wasn't thinking about looking into otherwise, great. But you're right. I mean, and, and to a lesser extent, I mean, this is a little less of a leap, but, you know, we see that happen all the time in the Doctrine and Covenant itself. You know, you get Emma saying, oh, the room above the store is so dirty because right. of all the tobacco spit. Ask the Lord how we can keep our room cleaner, which is an awful, kind of an odd thing to go to the Lord and say, how do we keep the floor of the, the room above the store clean? But we end up getting the whole word of wisdom out of that. Yeah. And so, again, I know that's not an exact one-to-one comparison, but like... The idea, you know, that you're communicating is mm-hmm. sometimes you start out with one thing and then the Lord leads you in a new direction based on where you started. And he should. I mean, if, if I think if any of us feel like our entire relationship with God is that we seek things that we want and then he gives us the exact thing, then maybe we're not stressing that enough, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, very often we can receive revelation that we're not looking for or, or an exact answer we don't want. But that's because the Lord works with us. But as we demonstrate that faith, that's the crucial thing. And that's the hard thing to do. Because if you receive an answer you're not looking for, if you receive inspiration that doesn't make sense to you, but you don't follow through on it, you will, the, you're less privy to receiving more revelation down the line. But it requires a lot of faith to actually say, all right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that then. We'll go with it, yeah. Um, that's tough. And I, I marvel at the faith of Joseph Smith in carrying all of this out. Whether it was, of course, all the stuff we talked about in the, uh, the Bible translation or the Bible redo, which is fascinating when you read about, all, there's so many revelations in Doctrine and Covenants that are directly related to that process, because all throughout you can see they're just asking questions. Then the Lord says, all right, well, here, I'll tell you about this, tell you about this. Yeah. They asked at one point if they should do translate the Apocrypha, and the Lord just says, nope, just skip it. It's good. <laughs> Move on. And then, yeah, and, and uh, also, uh, as we, we were kind of discussing this earlier before uh, recording, but that he even at one point in the translation of the Old Testament was told, okay, you've kind of gone far enough in the Old Testament, start to work in the New Testament now. So yeah, he's being redirected and pointed toward things that I think the Lord felt, these are their priorities. Yeah. Focus on these things first. And if Joseph Smith had lived longer, who knows, he might've gotten back to the Old Testament. Maybe he would've gotten back to the Apocrypha. And, yeah. and you know, Because the Lord said, there are true and correctly translated things in the Apocrypha, but he said, there's also a lot of untrue stuff in there that was put in by men, so that's why you can skip over it. So maybe Joseph Smith could have clarified some of he that stuff He could have fixed it all. It'd be great. But who knows? Then we'd all celebrate Hanukkah. <laughs> be perfect. Anyway, uh, I'm glib, but uh, there's a lot of valuable stuff that we've learned from Joseph Smith and from all these things. Jared, thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure, as always. Great. Everyone, Sunday School Bonanza. Join us on iTunes. Find us everywhere. Find Talk to us on Facebook. Send us an email at contact at thisweekinmormons.com. And we love being here for you. So until next week, we hope you have a great Sabbath day. For Jared, I'm Jeff. We'll see you later.